we began a new series this morning called The Upside Down Kingdom, where we're going to spend the next several weeks looking through the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5, which is where we'll begin this morning. And as you're doing that, let me just talk to you about a few things, a little housekeeping, if you will. Number one, um, we kicked off our Refresh Worship initiative officially last week. And if you weren't here or you're still praying about your commitment for this, then those cards are still there for you. Um, and in our time of giving at the end of the service, when you, when you are leaving, you're more than welcome to put those in the box out in the lobby or in the regular giving boxes as well. We will announce the commitments on October 29th, and so I want to encourage you to be here for that. going to be an exciting day around here. Now, secondly, and um, a harder topic to deal with, unless you're living under a rock, you saw the news yesterday of a war that broke out in Israel between, and I want to be very, very clear because it, we have a tendency, all of us, we like to simplify things. Um, a war broke out not between Palestine and Israel. A war broke out between Hamas and Israel. Um, and if you're not up on the news, and I would encourage you to go do some research and, and do some reading this afternoon. Um, and one of the questions that comes up when things like this happens, and just to be clear, something like this is, this is new. This is not what has been happening for decades and decades and decades. Uh, the acts yesterday were acts of terrorism, um, and it is different on a scale really unseen before since the recreation of the nation of Israel uh, many decades ago. And so I, here's what I'm just going to encourage you to do, church. Here's what I'm encouraging us to do. Here's what friends in Israel have asked us to do uh, that I spoke to yesterday. And that's this. It's just pray for the peace of the nation. Pray for the people of Israel and pray for the people of Palestine. Within countries where war takes place, there are families just like yours and mine. There are children that want to go to school. There are men and women that want to go to work or want to go to the market. There are millions of people in Israel and in Palestine that do not know Jesus as you and I know Jesus. So we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as we're called to do, we need to pray for the people of both Israel and Palestine. Um, that the Lord will, and I believe Jesus is the only answer. This is not one of, those, one of those just Sunday school answers. What's the answer for Israel? The answer is indeed Jesus. And only Jesus can bring peace to Israel and Palestine. And several of us were there several months ago. And so this just hits home a little differently when you hear of communities uh, that you know um, that have been targeted. And so um, I'm just going to ask you to pray for the people in the region of Israel. Pray for government leaders. Pray for wisdom. Pray for their soldiers. Pray for safety. And pray that individual relationships uh, would form between Palestinians and, and Israelis and that God would ultimately bring peace and glorify himself in that region. As I was watching the news unfold yesterday, I thought, oh, 
I need to, I just felt, man, do I, do I, need, to, do I need to preach something different? Do I need to go, go look for something that talks about the end times? Or do I, need to, do I need to preach about war and why this could be a just war and those things? And I thought, no, you know, the Lord, the Lord knows what we need to hear. And furthermore, I can't think of a better topic this morning than what the kingdom of God does and should look like in Jesus' day and in our days. And so we began by looking at, and can I just ask, aren't you sick and tired of it all? I'm not just talking about war in Israel. Aren't you just tired of the madness? I'm so sick and tired of the madness, the evil, and just the craziness of the world. I don't know if you've looked around lately. It is crazy out there, which reveals such a huge opportunity for people of Jesus, people who walk in the way of Jesus, to shine all the brighter. So we're, this today is going to be very, very different than any message that you've heard me give before, because what I'm going to do in a moment is I'm going to give you some background, some intro to the series that we're going to go through, and then we are going to take the Sermon on the Mount, and we're just going to let Jesus preach it, and we're going to read the Sermon on the Mount together, collectively, as a body, and we're just going to see what Jesus has to say to us, and then over the next several weeks, we'll take bite-sized chunks of the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll go through it in depth. So let me give you some background on Matthew. Some of this will come across more like a, uh, a lesson than a sermon or a message, but I think that's okay this morning. There are four Gospels. Help me name them. What are they? Okay, three of those Gospels are similar and one's different. Which one is different? John is different. The other three are called what? Synoptic Gospels. What does that mean? Synoptic comes from the word suin, meaning together, and opsis, meaning a view. So when we take that uh, and we put those two words together, suin and opsis, we get synopsis or synoptic, which means to view together. So three gospels, similar, so share similar stories, um, similar backgrounds, and, and in fact, only 24 verses in Mark that don't appear in Luke and or Matthew. Okay, it, they're, they're similar. 51% of Matthew appears in the Gospel of Mark. Why? Well, they're interviewing the same people. They're learning from each other. Their job and their goal was not to write necessarily uh, stories of their own. Their job is to report on what they had seen and heard. And they're reporting on the same things and writing to different audiences. Well, who was Matthew and why is his Gospel a little bit different than Mark's? Or Luke's. Matthew, by profession, was what? He was a tax man. He worked for the IRS. But what made him even, I hope there are no IRS agents in the room today. If they are, we love and appreciate you so much as a church and individually as well. But what made Matthew the most hated guy in his town? or his village, most likely was the fact that he was an IRS agent for a dictatorship that had taken over the nation of Israel. 
Matthew would have been hated by his fellow Jews, and Matthew was a Jew, because he worked and served the conquerors of Rome. And so Matthew is a man that would have been isolated, probably didn't have a lot of friends, wasn't invited to a lot of parties with other Jewish people in his hometown. But what else do we know about Matthew? We know because he was a tax man that worked for the Romans and because we have his gospel that Matthew was an educated man. And he is able to write. Now, we talked about this in our life group a little bit ago. At the time Matthew wrote his gospel, what was the educational system in Israel? It's rabbinical schools. So Matthew, we're making an assumption here, Matthew, when he was educated, would have been educated in the same way that any young man would have been. He would have been brought up on the Torah. Matthew is not... Um, an alien, so to speak, from the Old Testament law. He knows it. He would have been brought up the same way that Andrew and Peter, James and John would have. He's an educated man, able to write. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, we read about the calling of Matthew. And you can flip over there if you want. Just hold your finger where you're at back in Matthew chapter uh, 5. The calling of Matthew occurred like this. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. Anybody know what the name Matthew means, by the way? I happen to, because that's my name. Matthew means gift of God. I'm not saying I'm God's gift to you, but that's what Matthew's parents called him. Gift of God. And he probably didn't feel much like a gift when he was hated by all of his countrymen. Until Jesus passed on from there and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. If this doesn't happen, we don't have the gospel of Matthew. He's sitting at the tax booth and he says to him two words, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And we know that Matthew left everything behind except for his pen to pick up and follow after Jesus left everything. A statement can be made that we owe Mark for the events of Jesus's life, but we owe Matthew for the teaching of Jesus's life. Matthew is a teaching gospel. What is unique about the book of Matthew? A couple of things. First, it was written for the Jews. When we see in a moment right there at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, um, there is a respect for the Torah, a respect for the law. So first thing is, it's written for a Jewish audience. Second thing is this, there is a very specific interest in the church within Matthew. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my Church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There is an interest in the church. And the word used here is very, very important. And it informs how Jesus teaches and preaches throughout the Sermon on the Mount. So when we talk about church, we're talking about ecclesia, not kirke. Two different words. Um, Martin Luther, the reformer, would have used the word gemeinde which is a word that means community. 
So when he talked about church, when he wrote about church, he used the word community. William Tyndale used the word congregation. Both of these speak of what? People, not places. So when Tyndale, when, when, when Luther, both looking at ancient Greek, reading the words of Jesus, they're coming to the conclusion that when the church is talked about, it's not talking about an address or a location or a building. It's talking about the people who gather. The Spanish word is what? Iglesia for church. Kirche is the German word meaning. This is where Martin Luther comes into the picture. Kirche is the word that we get church, the English word church from, but it is actually the German word for the Lord's house. It talks about the building. But when Jesus talks, when, he is, when Matthew is talking about the church, he is not talking one bit about a synagogue. He's not talking one bit about four walls and a steeple. What he is specifically talking about is the people who would gather. A group of called out believers. A group that are called to come together and represent and live out the kingdom of God. This comes from the Greek word kyriakon, meaning the Lord's. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty. When you come together, it is the Lord's supper that you eat. The Lord's house, the Lord's supper, same word. That is where we get the English word Church. What else is unique about Matthew? Like I mentioned a moment ago, it is a teaching gospel. Matthew was written to be memorized. Maybe not the whole gospel, but Matthew was written with memorization in mind. When you look at the book of Matthew, you find three messages to Joseph and three denials of Peter. You find seven parables of the kingdom and seven woes to the Pharisees. So he writes with these, with these devices in mind to help people memorize and, and, and retain the gospel message. The genealogy, there are three groups of 14. Right? If you were trying to memorize the genealogy of Jesus, which maybe some of you have, be very, very challenging for some of us just to pronounce all of the words, myself included, but you'd find that it is broken up into three groups of 14 for memorization. This is why Matthew is a little bit unique. What is the point of the book? Well, the point of the book really starts in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Again, hold your finger where you're at and flip over to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Where we read the very first opening words of the New Testament, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Here's the message of Matthew. Jesus is the one true and rightful king. It begins this way, interestingly enough, it begins this way in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. He is the son of David, right here at the beginning of all things. The genealogy in verse 1 of chapter 1. He is the son of David and the rest of the genealogy proves that he is the son of David. The rest of the gospel of Matthew has this title prominently featured throughout it. The son of David. Mark and John use the title son of David only four times. Matthew does it ten times. 
He's writing to a Jewish audience, trying to tell him that the long-awaited Messiah, the son of David, has come. The book begins with this announcement that Jesus is the one with authority. He is the son of David. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he sits down and people say he taught with authority. And then at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we say this to each other all the time, the Great Commission, what does Jesus begin with? All authority is mine. I have it all. Matthew begins with authority and ends with authority. And everything in between reveals the authority of Jesus. He is the one true king because of who he is and because of what he has done. He holds all authority. And Matthew seamlessly reveals that throughout his book. Four reasons to study Matthew and specifically the Sermon on the Mount. Number one. Jesus died that we could live out the Sermon on the Mount. Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. So number one, Jesus died to enable us to live this. This is not a live this so God will love you. This is you are loved sons and daughters of God and he died to enable you to live differently than other people. Number one. Number two, it shows me of my desperate need for Jesus and his spirit. When you read, blessed are the peacemakers, it reads good, it lives hard. It reveals to me that once I am saved, I still need Jesus daily in my life to live this out. That the only way to live out the Sermon on the Mount is by the work of God's Holy Spirit transforming my mind, making me brand new day by day by day. Number three, it is according to Jesus, and his word is what counts around here. His word is what counts everywhere. But Jesus says it is the direct Road to blessing. Why should we study on this, the Sermon on the Mount? I don't know about you. I want to be blessed. I want to live in the days of blessing. And Jesus says, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are you. It's the direct path to blessing. Number, number four and finally, conviction of mine. This is the best means of sharing the gospel. A people who are marked by the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Who actually have taken this to heart and are living lives that are daily being transformed by Jesus. Are the best evangelist for the truth that anybody can change. Anybody can experience hope. People are looking today, and you know this as well as I do, people are looking for authenticity, hope, and transformation. They're not looking for us to be preachy. We have to earn the right to be heard. How do we earn the right to be heard? We take seriously the words of Jesus. We live out this kingdom ethic. This is not an ethic for some future kingdom age, I believe. This is not, oh, this is what it will look like in the millennial reign of Christ, although it will. I believe this is for here and now. This is not a merit for salvation, but is because of salvation. The kingdom of God that Matthew speaks of, that Jesus preaches of over and over and over, is here and it is 
future. It's here because Jesus preached in chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's already present. I'm here. The king has shown up. And where the king shows up, the kingdom exists. And where the king's loyal subjects live, they live in the kingdom. But it is also future and has future fulfillment. The kingdom is the rule and reign of Christ, which is present in the heart of every believer and true church across this planet. But it's future because there will be a day of future fulfillment when the king reigns in a very practical sense. Right now, Jesus reigns in a spiritual sense in our lives, influencing, directing us. We talked this morning in our class about he's our, he's our rabbi or teacher. But there will come a day where I believe Jesus will physically rule and reign here on earth. So let's look at this will be the best, the greatest sermon you ever hear me give because I didn't write it. It's Jesus's. And we're just going to read the words of Jesus. There's a lot here to cover, gang. But we're going to read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 together, imagining, if we can, that we are sitting with the crowd at the feet of Jesus as our rabbi stands up with his inaugural message to share why his kingdom is different, is better, and is hopeful. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a thought, will pass from the law. Until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. 
and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you to be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said, To those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard it said that it was, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, Go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, 
Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For he will hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrites. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? 
And if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and who does them, and this is why we study, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. This message that Jesus proclaimed 2,000 years ago, and this man named Jesus that proclaimed it. I mean, here's, what we, here's what we know, and everybody in here, I think, I think, has come to terms with this or will not be surprised by this statement. The message and the life of Jesus forces a decision from each and every person. Every single one of us. Every single person that we encounter every single day. Jesus forces a decision from them. From our children, Jesus forces a decision. From our parents, from our siblings, from our friends, our coworkers, our bosses, our employees from our political leaders, from those in Israel, from those in Palestine, for those in Afghanistan, for those in every nation on earth, every individual, Jesus forces a decision upon them. The decision is, is this. Do we submit to the hope of Jesus? This is his inaugural message. He shows up and he says, this is who I am. This is what I value. And the people that love and follow me will love and value the things that I value. Do we submit to the hope of Jesus that he lays out for us in the Sermon on the Mount? Or do we say, I'd rather go my own way. I'd rather do my own thing. 
That's the decision that every single person has to face. And every believer in here, which I believe is most of us in the room this morning, and maybe most of us online as well, every believer has to wrestle with the decision every single day. Will I live out the kingdom principles that Jesus enumerates for us in the Sermon on the Mount? Or, because I believe I have gotten my ticket punched for heaven, will I attempt to do my own thing? And in that way, we live no different than a person who has no hope in Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is as appropriate for us today as it was in the days of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is is as and more appropriate for us as believers than it is for those who do not yet know Jesus. So the invitation time today is very, very different. This thing remains the same. If you've heard the words of Jesus this morning and said that, that is, a, that is a teacher that I want to follow. I want the hope that he offers. I want the blessing that he promises. Then this morning in a moment, we're going to stand, we're going to sing. You, you come. There'll be pastors down here that would love to talk to you, pray with you, introduce you to this, this Jesus, this Messiah who has changed our lives. Maybe for many of us, it is a time of reflection today. A time to ask, am I seeking to continually follow in the way of Jesus, or have I gotten off track? Have I begun to walk in my own path because my way is easier, or my way seems better, or my way doesn't call for as much sacrifice? Somebody ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes together. I just do want to offer the opportunity for anybody in the room that needs to today make the decision to follow Jesus, then when we say amen and stand, you come, you, you speak to one of the pastors that will be down front. We, we, we will lead you the rest of the way. You just express your desire. You don't have to have it all figured out. That's what we're here for is to help you work through this and pray through this. There are other decisions that are weighing on you. A decision like Grant talked about earlier. Like you saw two young ladies courageously step forward and say, I want to identify with Jesus in baptism. If you're in the room this morning and you've not done that, but you're a follower of Jesus, then today may be the day that you just step out of the aisle and come forward and say, I need to, do, I need to be baptized. If it's, if it's coming forward and saying, I want to express a desire to join this church, or, or God's calling me to something, I just need somebody to pray with me, that's what we're here for. But for all of us, let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to, to reveal anything in our lives, any areas where we're not really following in the way of Jesus, but we've been following in the way of our own selves. And as he reveals that, the key word here, gang, is to Repent. The Holy Spirit reveals something to you. Repent of it and turn back to Him in faith, believing that He will forgive you. We love you, Jesus. We love the life you lived. We love this, this, this message where you lay out what is important to you about how we should live. 
And Jesus, what I, what, I, what I think I love most of all this morning is that you have sent your Holy Spirit to enable us, to equip us, to actually follow after you. And Lord, I, I myself, I, 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 have, I so often find that I step off of the path of following after you and I, I get in my own way so often. So Lord, I, I just pray that you would help me. You'd help us to remember to just stay one step behind you, to put our feet where you put your feet, to follow you, to live like you through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said together, amen. Will you stand as we sing?